Hi, book people. Welcome to Books with Abna. Today, joining me on this episode, we have Trifina Yebwa. I'm going to read a short profile and then we can start. Trifina is a Ghanaian writer and the author of a poetry chapbook, A Mouthful of Home, selected by the New Generation African Poet Series. Her fiction and essays have appeared in Narrative Magazine, Commonwealth Writers, and Lit Hub, among others. She is currently a PhD student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, studying English with an em- emphasis on creative writing. Hi, Chaifina. Hi, Abena. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me here. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for honoring my invitation. <laughs> Well, you were very persistent. <laughs> I, I, I am I'm a very happy. persistent person. I will not lie to you. I'm happy to be here. I wanted to say I was listening to previous episodes and I, I just finished listening to the one you did with um, Uwam Akpan and I was just, I loved his uh, his story collection. So you're one of them. It's one of the first ones that I enjoyed. I was like, oh my yeah. God. So it was yeah. cool that you had him on and I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank yeah. you so much. I hope that you go back and listen <laughs> to all my favorite authors share your story with us. I think I would. I think I would. It sounds like a really, really fun podcast. But how are you? How is school treating you? How is work as well? Oh, gosh. Thanks for asking. School, well, now we're on summer break, so that's that's nice. And I went home uh, last month to see my family. I hadn't been in Ghana for like four years, so that Ooh, was exciting. How was that? <laughs> that was, well, home is complicated. I think it was bittersweet. I was oh. very happy to see them and, you know, see my brother, see my mom. And it was a surprise. So there's a video of my mom literally like collapsing on the wow. floor. Wow. How long did you stay in Accra? Oh, you were not I was, in Accra. I was there for like a month. I was in Accra. I was, I was in Accra for like um, at least a month. Okay. Um, and yeah, that was, that was nice. And, but it, it is, it feels sort of good to be back and to, you know, settle back into the swing of things. And thanks for asking. How are you? What have you been up to? I am fine. And everything is fine. I mean, apart from work, recording, podcast, everything yeah. is fine. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to start by, let's have a first poetry reading and then we can get into it. Okay, sounds good. Um, the first poem I'll read is um, Bless the Salvage. Bless the Salvage. I tell my dentist the last time I had my teeth checked was when my father was alive. Eight years long enough for slow decay, for a cavity to ruin the walls of my tooth, a hole so deep it reaches the root, drilling, damaging, and eroding its soft tissue until I can't chew on one side, until I can't eat, can't sleep. My gum, a neglected field that implodes in my mouth, leaving small, hidden devastations everywhere. How do I say this is how I feel after his death? Eight years, long enough for me to accept that this is a permanent loss. Short enough for me to still hold on to the memories of every medical appointment. Every time my father stood at the corner of the white ward room, watching, watching me, watching the dentist hand at work. A steady presence. He was there, and then he wasn't. Stuck is what I remember most about grief, not the sorrow. Not the fear, but the maddening shock that grips you, pounds against your chest until you can't speak, can't sleep, can't remember the moment before this one. My father is gone. My infected tooth is extracted. 
a storm in my chest, a river of blood in my mouth. Look closely, here, a gaping hole on the bridge of my gum. Place your hand on me and feel for the pulse that breaks. Even now, after all these years, I am never without the things I love. Wow. So <laughs> my first impression of your work, um, in fact, the first time I read your work was A Mouthful of Home. Hey. And mm-hmm. my first impression is how deeply touched a move I was by your poems and your writing. Now, you write with such honesty, vulnerability, and heart. I could just like tell <laughs> how much of your heart is in your work. But Thank I want you. you to tell us what writing means to you. How does it feel to just put ink on paper and write exactly what you have on mind and in your heart? Oh, thanks, Abna. That's really kind. Um, well, I think I can just start by even how I started to write. I think there are two pivotal moments in my childhood that I believe have sort of shaped the kind of writer I am. And one of them was I, I was raised by my dad. My mom was away when I was growing up. And so we, my brothers and I would sort of get together and write letters that would be sent to my mom. And so I think there was some level of intentionality to that, you know, carving out space and time and sitting down and expressing how you feel, how you're missing this person, you know, just expressing care through words, expressing love through words. And so I think that was a big moment. And secondly, I, I journaled a lot. Even now I have I have journals on my desk. I am constantly reflecting on my life, constantly um, writing about my day, writing about how I'm feeling, interrogating those thoughts, interrogating those feelings. And so I believe that writing is just um, my way of thinking, my way of being in the world, moving through the world um, and reflecting. I, I can't imagine just being an individual who just to live life and not reflect, to live life and not think about how we are taking up space and the things we're leaving behind, the kind of decisions that we're making. And so I'm just, I'm very thankful to have this outlet that allows me to just, like you said, put <laughs> put words, put words on a page because I was, I was a very timid child growing up. Um, and I think that was just such a tremendous gift to have a space where I can just be because I don't, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have to write it, I would go crazy with my thoughts. And yeah. so <laughs> writing really is my way of, I think, being in the world. And yeah. I think it's, it's, been, it's been good. I like it. I like it yeah. so far. <laughs> but could you tell us how your poems um, develop? As in, in terms of making poems or even stories, how do your poems right. develop? Guide us through the process, the stages of a poem or a short story. Oh, my. I wish... I think the easiest thing, I wish I could just say like, oh, I have this formula and I wake up this time and I do all of this, um, <laughs> but it, it really, it really changes every time. I think um, a lot of it is in seasons. I told you that I'm in love right now, so I'm writing a lot mm. of love poems. <laughs> mm, mm. And then when I lost my dad, I wrote a lot about grief and loss. And yeah. even now I have to write about that. Um, but I think really so much of it just comes from paying attention to my world because there is just so much happening. Um, and I remember my short story, The Dishwashing Women, really it was just from a conversation with one of my friends, Sandra. We were texting and she's a writer. And so I think in the process of saying goodbye, you know, she said, oh, she has to go and do dishes. I was like, oh, I have dishes in the sink. And then she said, oh, we are the dishwashing women. And I was just struck. I was like, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> and that I was like, I have to write a story. So that line just stuck with me. And it's interesting mm. because 
I hardly ever write stories with a title in mind. Usually the titles, which are very hard for me to come up with, come towards the end of the story. So this is one of the very few times that I went in knowing the title and having an idea of what I would like to write about. But of course, at the very end of the story, you realize the story is a completely different thing. I don't write about oh. writers who are washing dishes. It's completely about, you know, social class and privilege and race and just uh, this beautiful friendship between two women, um, which just becomes something else. And, and then their real occupation, of course, is that they wash dishes for a, a rich family. And um, so it was interesting how just one tiny detail of that conversation, really one line from a friend, um, could lead me into this whole world, you know, mm -hmm. of characters and friendship and love. And so I, I, I don't think, I don't think that I have a process. I, I just think that I, I'm somebody who loves to observe. And um, because I'm kind of an introvert, you just, everything is just in the head. You just see it, you know, so yeah. much of it is happening in a quiet and in a private. And I just, I observe, I, I ask questions, I read, and then I just, I, I really just take from everything happening. Um, does that even answer the question? I'm yes, sorry. it does. So in okay. terms of, Yay. so based on what you said, there are readers that are mood readers. So you read according to the mood that you are in. So if you are in love, you read a lot of romance. Or if you are, oh sad, dear, you read a lot of books centered on grief and sadness. So I'm guessing it's almost the same thing in terms of your writing. You're writing based on what emotion you're feeling at that time. That's so, um, well, partly, yes, I don't, I, I wouldn't call myself a mood reader, which, by the, by the way, that's a very interesting term. I, I, I should maybe read, look into that some more. Um, I think I'll usually just, you know, I now I read a lot for class because grad mm. school is just a lot of reading. Um, mm. But usually I'll pick a book, you know, based on a friend's recommendation or a writer I really mm -hmm. like. So I haven't even had to ever connect my mood yeah. to a specific, you know, genre that I'll pick. I do know that when I'm finding myself um, in a season where I'm not writing much, then I would, I'm all inclined to read more short stories because I want to write more short stories. So I'll just oh. go pick up short stories to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah. But I think on the other hand, yes, I tend to write how I'm feeling. I tend yeah. to, I, I think if I'm very sad, I, I haven't, I haven't tried to write a happy poem when I'm sad. <laughs> that would, I would have to sort of manufacture that joy. Yeah. Which, yeah, which yeah. really, I don't think is a bad thing, but usually I tend to I write so much from the place that I'm in. I don't yeah. know if it's good or bad. And now mm -hmm. that I say that, this is making me remember, it's making me think of a conversation I had with Professor Doss mm -hmm. when I told him that, you know, I'm a very routine person. I, I, I tend to write in the morning. And then he, we had this conversation about just all these um, artificial restrictions that we create mm -hmm. for ourselves as writers. And we we're like, yeah. oh, I can't write if it's, if it's not quiet. I can't write if I don't mm -hmm. have a black pen, you know. And that's the kind of writer <laughs> I was. I, I had all these very strict conditions, you know, that I had developed over time that I was very comfortable and familiar with. And I remember Professor Doss telling me, but you have to push against those limitations because mm -hmm. they were made. Like we generated these conditions. We told ourselves, or we kind of got used to the habit of writing. I write in a quiet. It was music playing. It drives me crazy. And he said, well, wow. what if you have a year of living next to a club? Like, what do you do <laughs> if you have a neighbor who plays, you know, because sometimes I don't think, sometimes the conditions are always impossible. Yes. And so you're going to wait for the perfect setting, the perfect environment. Mm. Right? You might never write anything. And so he, he in some ways, and I'm so privileged to know this man, he is always sort of challenging me to, you know, move away from what is familiar move yeah. away from what's comfortable and see what well, can I write in these other settings because sometimes that's exactly what life would present you 
what is yeah. unfamiliar, what is different, and you can't just walk away. Um, and so, you know, wh wh while I say I have all of my rhythms and ways of approaching things, I'm still finding myself um, just wanting to push push those boundaries back mm. and see what else can I do outside of what's familiar to me. Yeah. And now that you talk about Professor Doss, let's just talk about your chat, <laughs> your chat book, A Mouthful yes. of Home, and how it was published yes. by the African Poetry Book Fund. Tell us about your experience writing a chat book and the impact of mm -hmm. Professor Doss, Kwame Doss, and Chris Abani on your work. Oh my gosh, I know. Um, well, I think you know, we you and I talked about this earlier that I sort of started with Instagram, you know, right? And I think it was just Instagram poetry was very big at that time, and I yes. think it still is really. Yes. And so I kind of just jumped on that bag of one look. I was just very surprised to see people. I was like, oh, we have this platform where yeah, I could write, I could share, and people would care to read what I put out there. I remember it was just very surprising that whole experience. Um, and so when I got the invitation to submit to the, you know, the chapbook series. Mm -hmm. Ama, Ama Santoa was like such an instrumental, uh, mm. <laughs> just uh, a, a great colleague, you know, in, in that in that regard, because I remember sending him like a desperate cry for help. Like, I don't know <laughs> what to do. All I've ever done is Instagram poetry. Like, what? This is a book. I've never, <laughs> I've never had to, you know, put poems together as a manuscript. And I was like, what do I do? And because she had published um in the she had published her chat book you two will know me in 2019 yeah. and she just sort of came on board as this um wonderful editorial guide and friend and mm. i remember most of my poems were prose poetry because all the poets that i was reading at that time were post prose poetry mm -hmm. and so exactly if you're consuming it the things that you're feeling is exactly the kind of thing that would yeah. influence your work and so I remember Ama saying, Try, you can't have all prose poems. <laughs> we have to, we have to break a few down. And some of my poems were untitled. I have like poem one, poem two, untitled three. And I was just an absolute mess. And so <laughs> Ama, Ama really stepped in and just like guided me. It was so, mm. so patient. So, oh gosh, I, I, I can't even, I can't speak, you know, of just the significance of. Um, of her friendship and of her impact during that season yeah. um, and so she she was definitely a big part of you know the poems coming together because I think when you're writing for Instagram you're not thinking of coherence you know you just post yes. a poem whenever but if you're thinking about a book you're thinking well do these things you know come mm -hmm. to do these things line up and if they're are they do they belong together and she she kind of made me build a home of these poems and you know put them together um and and so yeah so that's just Amma that she's an amazing human being and I know you've interviewed her so you already yes. know that <laughs> yes uh but for for Professor Kwame Dozen and Chris Abani I mean these men I think most African writers are just aware of the tremendous contribution that they're making to sort of you know promote and advance the development of poetry and uh, by African writers mm -hmm. um, and they have this I think in addition to the chapbook series where they would usually select between I don't know 10 11 you know imagine African poets to publish mm -hmm. they also have the African poetry digital portal which is more like an online resource that provides access to you know biographical information like you can go on this one website and you have access to all of these different African writers and their mm. work, their interviews and their newspaper coverage. 
and I, I, just, I think they're just changing. They're just changing like the whole um, yes. landscape of African poetry, and it even goes beyond publishing, which I really appreciate. You're, you're doing so much in terms of archiving and storing and libraries, yeah. distributing books, and I'm thinking these men are just gosh, they're <laughs> they're, they're doing something different. You're changing the course of history, and mm-hmm. I feel incredibly honored to even be a tiny part of the projects that you're undertaking. Um, and yeah, we wouldn't have our chapbooks without, I mean, I wouldn't have our chapbooks, <laughs> we wouldn't have our chapbooks <laughs> without the kind of work you're doing. And I'm just, yeah. I feel so, so thankful for them. Yeah. And now that we are talking about influences, I'd like us, I'd like you to tell us about um, quotes that influence your craft across generations and across also time. This could be past, present, mm. people that influence your crafts for you. Gosh. This is why, like, I confess that I, I don't think I was much of a reader until I started my MFA. <laughs> so, and so sometimes I feel so ill, like, when writers get together mm. and you're talking about books, I'm just like, I've only read, like, just a few. Um, but anyway, I think <laughs> I can speak. I, I really admire um, Ocean Vuong. I, I love, mm. I think one of the first poetry mm. books I read was Night Sky with Exit Wounds, and I mm. was just blown away by the level of vulnerability by his language and I just I really appreciate his take on language and grief um, I, and I think in some ways he gave me the courage to be able to write about my dad you know in the most raw mm. honest way vulnerable way which I think is a risk in itself um, of course, Professor Kwame does. Now that I'm even closer to him, I just like, oh, I, I, in, in every conversation we have, I'm always learning from him. I, I took um, his poetry workshop a few semesters ago. And, you know, sometimes people bring poems in and usually he'd ask the question, but is this true? Mm. And I, I was like, I, I never had to think about truth and, and writing. You know, I just thought all, all of it is just imagination. But sometimes he'll take a line and he would sort of force us to think about just the truth in that statement is is mm. this true you know that's this really I can't this happen mm. um, and that that was a big it was a big challenge it reminds me of um, this line by uh, Dorothy Allison which is fiction is the great lie that tells the truth about how we live our lives and so we can't really completely you know neglect that truth yeah. is an essential part of writing and so his his class really made me think about that so I think I'd say he's an influence and of course, the beloved Toni Morrison. <laughs> I can't, I can't say, I can't say this without Toni Morrison. Um, I think I went a long time because writing was such a private practice for me. I went a long time only writing what I knew and what mm. I felt and what I thought. And I've, I've heard Toni Morrison always talk about, well, don't just write about your little life. Like, like <laughs> write about the world, write about the things you don't know, invent things, make it up. Because if, if you only wrote about what you knew, then you know give us more yeah. <laughs> and so that I that that really and and it that really got me thinking you know and I'm, I'm reading a story about human trafficking and I, I've mm. never had to live that yeah. life I've, I don't know a friend who's been through that experience mm. but it was such a big challenge to just you know again step out of what is comfortable step out of what is familiar and and write about something scary something different something new I think it does wonders to our minds to be able yeah. to think outside of what we know and so Toni Morrison big influence um, mm. and maybe the last person I'll say is Canadian writer um, Alice Muro. I she was one of the first short story writers that my mentor recommended Lisa when I when I came to Chapman mm-hmm. um, and 
I don't know if you know about this, but usually when when you start to write short stories in grad schools, you're like, oh, well, you like you have to write a novel. There's this almost this force that, oh, nobody wants to publish. Like you can't sell a short story without a novel. Like you have to have a novel. And that scared me because I'm just like, but but all I want to do is write short stories. Sorry. But don't quote me on this in like five years if I do have a novel at some point. <laughs> so, gonna, we are going to keep I, this when you have a novel and can't just this part. I know, because what if an agent is like, the only way you can make money is to do a novel, then I might just give up and write a novel <laughs> after all. But I, I really admire Alice Moore because she has lots of short stories and she, she has this insistence on, on writing short stories. And she, mm. I think she said every time she starts to write a novel, it just it breaks apart, it breaks up, it breaks up into tiny little stories. And I thought that was very interesting. And so I think in some ways I find myself encouraged by her because she found a form that she loved, that she enjoyed, and she stuck to it, despite the publishing demands. Yes. So hopefully yes. I can be as, as brave and stubborn and persistent as Alice Munro. Wish me luck. <laughs> Good luck. You need it. All the best. <laughs> oh, thanks, Abena. Thank you so much. So I, I do this thing where with every interview with my guests, I put down a book recommendation that I go back and read. So for example, with my episode with Ama Santua, um, right. She recommended a lift, and she didn't recommend. I kind of asked her the same question, and she mentioned a lift shafak. And I remember picking up an Elif shafak, and I was like, "Why haven't I read this book? Can somebody Ooh. please tell me why?" And then I remember my interview with Uwam Akpan. He also recommended <laughs> Ch- Chika Inigwe, and then my Ooh. interview with so so you have just recommended Nice Sky with Exit Exit Wounds. Oh yes, yes. So I'm yes, going to please. probably read that and give you feedback on that. And I'm going to I would love to know your thoughts when, on that. <laughs> yeah. Poetry is a bit difficult for me to read, but I loved Oceans um oh. um on, on Earth you are briefly, briefly gorgeous. gorgeous. It was mm-hmm. so beautiful. I read it last year yeah. and it moved, it touched my soul. Oh so gosh, much. have you you might like have you read Time as a Mother? That's like his no. recent uh poetry. Oh so I, well, I tend to shy away easy. from poetry. So I think oh, maybe that's that's, right. that's my that's a reason why I'm I'm taking my time with getting into his I, I well, I'll get into it and tell you what I think. Yeah, that's that's completely understandable. But he 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 lost his mom and so so yeah. much so many of the poems are about yeah death and mm. grief and you might mm. I, I know there are different reviews about it people you know people love his first book and i think sometimes the second and third book suffers because yes. the first book you know got all of the hype yes. but i love his because he wrote so much <laughs> about his mom he <laughs> he said you know sort of i think along the lines of death is the truest thing um mm. we we have because it is the one thing that we are all heading towards Wow. And so I, I just, I love, I love, because I write so much about loss and grief, I have a lot of respect for Ocean yeah, for him to just yeah. be able to find the language to articulate these very intangible, mm. you know, and yet they're so yeah. real, but we can't, we can't touch grief yeah. and yet it's all around us. And so, yes. well, okay, let me know what you think when you, <laughs> when, I you will, read, I will. when you read his work. Yeah. And, and now that we are talking about books that, or writing that touches my soul or our soul, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to things that are intangible, but we can feel it all around us. I want you to talk about your experience as being vulnerable when you write. You have spoken about um, writing about grief and loss. Right. How do you deal with emotions like reliving painful memories, 
facing truth, anxiety, fear, and translating them into your work? How do you deal with all these emotions? That's a big question. Of the, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't I, know. I, I tend to, I, I, I need to know if you kind of find a release <laughs> or a relief after writing oh. about a big emotion. So is it a relief or is it a release? I don't know. I, I don't even. I don't. Yeah, that's. I don't. I don't know that it's either. I. I think. Hmm. I think so much of writing for me is, you know, processing and thinking, and so you can. Because I think I've. I've had somebody ask me that. You know, when when I write poems about my dad, hmm. does it help? And I said, I. I don't know that. I don't know that it helps. But I'm. I'm. I'm grateful that I. You know that I have that medium to be able to process. Yeah. And so it. It, it just. It. Some. It. It really feels like. The, the middle ground like the middle mm. passage I, I don't think that it takes me from one point to another I don't think mm. that writing leads me to this very specific destination of relief or release but it is that process for me so it, it really is like the thick of it like deep in the mud deep <laughs> um, yeah. me deep into whatever it is I'm feeling um okay. so I, gosh I'm sorry I, I wish gosh so, I mean, maybe maybe I'm still what, figuring it out <laughs> okay so what was there ever a time you wrote a poem and you you just you cried your eyes out or your heart just like oh. you you just kind of could not deal with the emotion right after writing that poem or maybe a short story oh wow maybe yeah maybe short story i think i'll say lemon down mm. maybe short stories yeah maybe short stories but no I, I haven't i haven't i haven't ever had to cry about no i feel like i'm not doing it right i should be crying about my <laughs> no, you are doing it right. <laughs> wait 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 just before we continue do you cry when you watch movies oh gosh yes i just watched do you Life cry when you listen theater. to music uh no not music just movies Wow, you are doing it right. You are, you are doing it perfectly right. <laughs> do you cry though? No, I'm very curious what people do, how people express, you know, all of these things. Do you cry when because you Because I was books? talking to BC and BC was like, she cried when she wrote about a particular character because of oh, the emotional... Man. It was just emotionally daunting. She could not deal with it as oh, a person. Man. And so I, I usually ask writers, being vulnerable, you're, you're like, telling the world exactly how you feel but in the moment when you're writing was there ever an emotion you were going through anger grief loss happiness joy was there something you were going through at that time that you just now you're looking back at it you're like wow how did I even move past that emotion how did I even live right. through it yeah. What, what, well, first of all, the, the BC thing you just said, that's that's wild. I mean, I'm thinking about how much level of empathy you must have as a writer yeah. to, you know, feel these kind of wealth that we create for a character. That is just, mm. that's incredible. And oh, gosh, I mean, you're putting me on the hot seat here. I think and <laughs> maybe I'm, I think maybe I'm just trying to avoid answering the question. <laughs> um, but I, I feel every, every time I write about my dad, mm. I think, I think I miss him. Okay. That actually now, now that I say this, I think, I think I feel a lot of sometimes frustration and dissatisfaction mm. when I try to look think back on you know how my dad sounded or things that he did mm. and I find myself forgetting mm. my memory my friends always tell me my memory is just horrible <laughs> they like they tell me things and like try we know you'll remember this and then that's what they say before they start yeah. to tell me what I, <laughs> what I should have known 
And so I think, I think sometimes when I'm writing and I keep going back to my dad because I write so much about him. Yes. Um, I, I would go and writing, you know, maybe about a specific memory of, you know, him coming home or doing something. And, and I find myself stuck because I'm, I'm angry that I don't remember. I don't remember these incidents. I'm starting to forget the sound of my father's voice. Mm. And that's, that's a loss that is making me so frustrated. I'm like, how can you forget? You know, and, <laughs> and so I find myself beating myself up when um, there are all of these gaps in my memory that I, I really can't make up for. Um, and so I, I'll speak of frustration because maybe when mm. I start to talk of grief, then I might cry on this podcast, which, yeah. <laughs> which, which I don't want to do. But yeah, grief and frustration from from not remembering um and and honestly sometimes just gratitude also for being able to put something down on a page I'm, I'm very grateful that I can have the language to be able to express whatever it is I'm feeling because sometimes I don't have the words because whatever you're feeling is all of it is inside and so much of it is just heavily yeah. interior and so I'm, I can write a poem and I can sit down and maybe that's the relief you're talking about mm. and for me it really feels more like gratitude to go like oh Mm. I'm so glad I had the words for this because yeah. I, I, I just, it just, everything was up in my head. And I was like, I don't, I didn't think that I could have the language to express this, you know? And I know that sometimes, you know, we can only come so close, even with language. Sometimes they're not able to represent or capture exactly what it is we want to, mm. but we mm. do come close. And yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. thankful that language can give us room to do that. Yeah. Now, Kurt, let's, and just speaking about short stories, let's talk about lemon dove what why why is it called lemon dove what inspired the story what what tell us about it well it's my favorite story ever (laughs) (laughs) it's i know i know writers don't pick favorites because you're all like your little babies but i would be that parent who would have a favorite and but i I I wrote Lemon Dove is about my 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 little brother. It's a short story I wrote. I think oh. it's one of my lesser known work. But you know how in Ghana, well, I don't know if this happened, but you know I went to Wesley Girls, and when usually when a parent you know passes away, they don't they don't you sort of they don't really tell you. They just say you have to go home. So they're like mm. you know take my mm. colleagues and. And it, it's hard to go home because, you know, even when you're sick, you go to the sick bay, like you can't just up and leave secondary yeah. school. Yeah. And so <laughs> usually when, when, when the head, the house minister comes and you're like, oh, we have to let you go. We can almost stand that, oh, something has happened. You're mm. not sick and you're just like pulling you out of this, you know, rigid system. It's like, okay, you, if you're going home, then this is, this is scary. It's either good or it's pretty bad. And mm. so I, and when my dad passed away, my brother was in school. He was in St. Augustine's. And so, of course, Ooh. I imagined him having to go through that. You know, he was in school. Wow. We were at home. So we, we, we knew that it happened. And I had always wondered um, what my brother felt, you know, having, you know, whoever was in school tell him that, oh, you have to go home. They don't say why, you know, nobody, nobody's like, oh, your dad is dead. You just, yeah. they're like, oh, yeah. we, got, we, we got a call from your family mm. and, you know, they're asking you to come home. So, you know, take care, you know, you know, spend as much time as you need, which they never tell you in secondary school to go yeah. home. And yeah. You know, you just, you, you never get to go. <laughs> and so I, I was grappling with the thought of my brother mm. just leaving school, you know, mm. sitting on the bus, coming home knowing knowing that our dad was dead because i wow. think when, when when he told him they were like your mom called and mm. so of course an insult and he knew my dad was sick and so i think for me so much i went into that story with questions that mm. my little brother is called edmund jr we call him aegis so i was like how did how did ej <laughs> feel sitting on that bus coming home knowing okay. this tragedy had happened 
And that that was what led me to write that whole story of just you're in the bath, you're coming home, you mm. know, you know what you're going home you to. You know exactly. You have, like you have no proof, but you know exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. And it's something that will change your life completely. Mm. And I'm just how does a young my brother must have been, I don't know, uh fifteen, you know, fifteen, wow. sixteen at that time, and I'm just how, what is going on in his mind? Like, what, what are you thinking of? Are you scared? Are you afraid? Are you mm. are you anxious? Are you angry? You know, like, and so all of those questions of wanting to know, wanting to be in my brother's head, wishing I was on that bus with him, wishing yeah. he didn't have to do that that journey all all mm. by himself. That's what led to to Lemon Dove. So when you read the story, you realize so much of it is contained in the bus. Yeah. Of just him in that yeah. bath going he never gets off the bath he just sits in that bath yeah the whole ride um it's it's one of my favorite stories because I it's, think... it is a beautiful story <laughs> oh I appreciate that and I think, I think one of the things one of the things I really admired about the writing was the fact that you told it from a, a boy's point of view or a male's point of view and Thank for you. me it's it's <laughs> very difficult when another gender pulls of the other gender's POV. So mm-hmm. it was, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's a YA story as well. Short story. <laughs> and it's, it I... centers on grief and loss. And it was beautiful. I appreciate that. Adna. Thank you so much. I have a, the ending is a bit ambiguous. Like it came up in um my, my fiction workshop. Mm-hmm. Like, Cause I, I create this scene where it's like my brother, where it's like the character sees his father one more mm, time. Yes. And yes. so people are like, did that happen? Is that a ghost? Is it real? Is his father dead? So I kept getting all these questions and I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm not. I think it was one of those things where I just took the liberty as the writer and I was like, I'll mm. let you guys decide exactly yeah, what yeah, you think is yeah, happening here. Yeah. But I had somebody ask me, you know, why was it so important? that um the character had to see their father whether or not it was real whether it was imagined yeah and i said and i said it's because i i wish that my my brother had seen my father you know like i hadn't even realized that that was the intention until Mm. i I was asked that question and i was like oh yeah why was it so important for me to make up that scene of you know him seeing his father for the last time and i then immediately dawned on me i was like oh yeah because I wanted my brother to see my father yeah. and, and just that, oh, I'm having, I'm having goosebumps saying this. And so uh-huh. just that sense of empathy, you know, because I got to see my father, we got to serve him, we got to feed him, take him to the hospital. We, mm. in some way, we were a big part of his last days. And I think I grieved that my brother missed so much of that. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to create this world. Where you mm. get to say goodbye, mm. where one you get to time. say goodbye one more time. It is, um, and so thankfully I could get away with that ambiguous ending. <laughs> it is beautiful. So let's take your next poetry reading, and then we can wrap this up. Alrighty, gosh, thank you. Um, okay, well, speaking of empathy, I would read the poem "Surge" that I wrote during COVID when I when I had COVID. Okay, "Surge," and I wrote this for one of my professors, um, Dr. Waite. Okay. Search. A glass door separates us. My teacher stands on the other side of my apartment, box in hand. He has brought me fruits, tea for my sore throat, cinnamon rolls for dessert, oven baked pasta to last me days. She has cooked, shopped, and driven all the way to downtown Lincoln, its buildings towering over me, clumping shut my quiet fears my sinking heart at night. She has seen me. He has done all this just for me. I cannot keep it together. I do not care what I look like. I stand there and weep like a child. 
I am a child, homesick and feverish, weakened by a virus, struck again by the malady of lonesomeness, all my needs and longings in this life, and yet, this is the one that breaks me open, touching something deep, soundless, and desperate. That morning, before she knew what miracle was coming my way, my mother, an ocean away, cried on the phone when I told her about my illness. But who will feed you? But who will feed you? There I was, thinking about my aching limbs, my anxious heart, this maddening quarantine. There she was, thinking about kindness, the ancient remedy for a wounded heart. Thank you so much, Ryan. <laughs> this, this is You're me. welcome. Uh, yeah, Thank yeah. you for this listening. Is... I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for honoring my invitation for and I, I, I know I'm persistent, but you could have said no, but thanks for joining. Oh me. gosh, you are. You dragged me. I want every listener to know I'm here against my will. <laughs> I literally put a gun to her head and said, if you don't Oh my gosh. It's been a pleasure. I truly would like to be there. Never, 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 never.